Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Hey, we're doing this. We're doing this. This thing's happening. I'm excited. We wrestled with sound and we got it all working. I'm excited. This is going to be action-packed. We are going to learn. We're going to laugh. We're going to joke. We're going to have a lot of fun. I can't. I love marketing and I love marketers. And isn't it all just about people anyways? And my guest today is an expert on both marketing and people and the combination of the two. And there's a famous quote that I love. It's who, not how. You need to get something done. Who, not how. Who is the person that is the right person for that? And then the how will follow suit. So we are going to be talking about who's and how's and marketing today. My guest is an absolute a wizard. Again, in both of those backgrounds in digital marketing, content marketing, strategy, execution, speaks many, many, many languages, chief marketing officer and chief people officer at Mercury, Jasmine Matarasian. Welcome. Thank you, Casey. You're very kind. I'm delighted and excited to be on your podcast. Well, I, I am too. And so I'm going to get this thing off the floor. It's heavy. I'm going to pass it to you, but I know you're, you're, you look stronger than I am. So one sec. Uh, 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 okay, here we go. Thor's hammer. You got it? Thank you. Okay. <laughs> got it. There you go. All right. Take Thor's hammer for me and smash some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. And a smash unequivocally banner ads on websites marketers people wake up those do not work banner ads don't work you heard it here smash uh and how bad is it if you if you do a banner ad are you just burning money in a pile yeah you might as well just burn money in actual life at least it'll be more entertaining side (laughs) you'll have something to tell your grandkids about like a reckless action you did but it's completely ineffective uh, and like actually the actual act of burning would be more productive than just placing banner ads. Right. At least you could heat heat your home or your office with the burning cash that you're set ablaze. Why? Why it? First of all, tell me why it is a complete failure. And then let's get into why people think that. So pre-digital age, pre-digital age, people were exposed to over 3000 ads today. The multiplier of that is an immense amount. And our brains are exceptionally smart. So we start screening things out, right? And people are really adept to it. And there's also a lot of software that helps with it. And, you know, I'll challenge anybody who's listening to this podcast to let me know when was the last time they actually bought something or took an action off a banner ad. I don't think it even helps the brand image too much. So it's a complete waste. And then, but then there is a whole sales machine of a lot of companies making a case with fancy numbers saying, oh, we have this kind of so many sessions, so many site visitors, all the nice things. And they make it sound impressive and people take the bait. And almost mm. no one is willing to say, hey, the emperor has no clothes. And remember, if you're the executive that has been pouring a lot of funds into these banner ads year after year, 
it's probably going to be very difficult to come up and say, you know what? I was mistaken. It's not working. But it's really not working. And I'm speaking from data. I'm speaking from testing it, experimenting with it, with some of the most prominent sites out there. Waste of effort, time, and money. Tell me about the different things you've tested, because I because I, I loved hearing that because it gives your myth smash validity. You're saying, look, I'm not just saying this because I hate them and I hate seeing them, which we probably all do, but you're saying I've tried it. I I actually I I put some of my own money in that 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 bonfire outside our building. In many multinationals, in my uh, previous uh, organizations, we had gigantic ad spend budgets and you know banner ads were one of those but thankfully we also had really good conversion funnels uh seeing what's converting what's working what engagement is being built yeah and literally time after time there was no output from banner ads so and then i can tell you after we eliminated it's not as if our outcomes got worse just the opposite they got better because we were able to channel the funds towards better endeavors so that that have better you know roi and payoff so right that's why i'm speaking from experience okay um i think I, I remember back in the the early days when I was a rebellious college student and we couldn't even track these things too well. I remember sitting in my dorm room, clicking on banner ads uh, and, and encouraging my friends to as well. I, I, I don't know if it's gotten much better. I know we've got, you can track IPs and you can eliminate things, but I think, is, is it in the end, is it the lack of intent? Like what, what makes them fail so poorly? Well, when you were a college student a few years ago, starting in kindergarten, right? That—that <laughs> uh, that was the novelty of it. That right. has completely worn off. Oh, by the way, I, I was only clicking them to make money. They were my own ads on my own site. <laughs> uh, the truth comes out. Sorry, food.com. <laughs> okay. The truth does come out. So uh, even then... No one's listening. It's fine. No one will hear that. Well, I'm sure they will, but that's okay. So the novelty even was not even such a big thing, right? right? So that that that's a factor, and people just do not engage that way. People, yeah, honestly, if banner ads were working, there would be no need for content marketing. Think about it that way. There Interesting. Be- okay, hold on a second. If banner ads worked, there'd be no reason for content marketing. Yeah. Because then you just put up an ad, it would all work and would be fantastic. And I hope nobody takes this out of context because those do not work and we do need content marketing. And people are, uh, people engage with real value. The sentiments and emotions play a huge role. But again, whatever content is doing has to come with that value. Interesting. It's like, as much as we say it's one thing, to your point, by the results, we see what it actually is. We're all playing that long game. Now, w- would you argue, though, that maybe banner ads work better for consumer purchases, just not B2B? For some things, they might help. Uh, for instance, this is for certain sneaker is really in fashion and everybody seems to be buying it and you're on Facebook and that banner ad runs, it might spur a consumer purchase, possibly. 
But again, I don't think it's that effective either. Other influencer posts, other content will probably help spur more of that. A celebrity wearing a sneaker is so much more powerful um, and being kind of photographed in Vanity Fair or People magazine and being in social media, that would be way more powerful than placing banner ads for the same sneaker. Right, right. Because that creates visceral associations, desire to be like, having access to the same kind of luxury or amenity or benefit. Hmm. What what does work then, right? So is it is it the content? What are the things that if you instead of burning your cash in the pile of banner ads, where should you be directing instead? Domination on search engines, particularly Google, still is a huge thing. Like if you're not starting with that, if you don't have the most optimized website, if you you're not uh, speaking to the critical keywords that the, your audience is looking for and searching for, you might as well like wrap everything up and go home. That. Uh, but that that absolutely works. SEO, uh, doing meaningful searches. I think with first of all, AI has been uh, behind so many products for such a long time. There's a lot of talk about it. But also some nature, the nature of the search might change a little bit more, right? Google c- continuously experiments with its top listings uh, and how the, you know, the first impression is displayed to a person. Like over the years, it's been changing all the time. And then it's, uh, voice search is becoming a huge thing these days. Mm. So some companies who really want to be out there better optimize their digital properties for voice search. Okay. All all these things are coming up, but digital domination works every time. And look how we shop these days. You could be even in a physical store and like my husband and I will often step back. We're, We're trying to buy something and we'll do a Google search to see if we can buy the same product better elsewhere you you're highlighting the importance of google and i think sometimes we take that for granted that we want the the something different or shiny a new to try to go find people when it's hey people have intent on on search engines they're looking for something give them what they're looking for Absolutely. At the same time, sometimes it strikes me to what extent some people are not relying even more on that, right? Yeah. They'll be puzzled about a question. I mean, to me, and now we're living among a lot of digital natives, people who have never lived without Google or any other search engines being whatever, it sometimes does not occur to people to look things up. But it, and then, but there is a sophistication that has to come into play. And now the new AI uh, offerings highlight that even more. You have to be discerning enough to know what's better quality, what's not, what to trust, what not to trust, because it can also be a lot of disinformation. Mm. So there is a certain level of discernment, education, and sophistication that has to go into the search as well. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, If that is the right direction, what is the first step? 
from uh, banner recovery. <laughs> <laughs> Give it up. Cold turkey. I mean, let's okay. Let's cold turkey. Step. Number one. Number one, cold turkey. Have the courage. Uh, even if you've been doing for a long time, have the courage to say, you know what, let's redirect the spend. And there are some easy cases to be made. Uh, LinkedIn promoted content works remarkably well because LinkedIn allows you to, you know, uh, target in a very granular way uh, how to direct those funds. So you could have a target by title, by industry, by geography, down to a city. So it makes a difference. So you might be in front of the decision makers, influencers that you really want to target quite easily. And if you bring content that actually delivers value to that audience, they're going to be engaged. And the amazing part is that people are, the promoted content on LinkedIn is done so subtly and so well that most users can't even tell the difference. So it has none of that banner ad impact where people just screen it out. Mm. Yeah. And and there's even ad blockers too, where people like literally don't even see it. Do you, would you put video ads in the same bucket as banner ads, or is there something different about that? Video is different. People love video. I mean, there are people who, who are just mesmerized. When I talk about banner ads, I talk about the static content, but again, what video was the content, how it's done. It's just hard to say, yeah. you know, you, you put a cute cat or a cute dog or a cute baby. It's always going to get uh human engagement. Right. But is that really delivering the value for the positioning you're looking for? That's an, will it engage that, that deep level that those are two entirely different things. So right. I would still speak against banner ads um, on that level. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, the The only exception, I wonder, I do wonder about like Instagram. Instagram does seem to have a particular, it does seem to know who I am. Because one time I, I bought two things off of Instagram and I, I'm like, what am I doing? I got I to put my credit card down. Somehow they, ha- they had me, you know, they were very consumer fake, you know, focused things though, for sure. Like, well, it's very easy to discern, though. Did you buy off of the banner ad or did you f- buy off of like Instagram placement? Instagram you know, placement. Instagram is, see, that's different. Instagram, you're going there to, it's not the banner ad. You're going to specifically look at that imagery, mm. at the placement. That's that's the whole goal of Instagram. It draws you in with imagery. It's true. That's your intent. You start out with that. You start out with the intent of looking at it. That's a very different venue than a traditional old-fashioned banner ad. Right. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Do do you do you see them ever going away, or does is this a a myth that continues to perpetuate itself? Unless everyone listens to this particular podcast. <laughs> it's hard for it to go away very easily or quickly because the sellers keep on selling and the buyers will keep on buying for a while. There is certain inertia. I think over time, who knows how the digital properties will change. I mean, Microsoft and other companies are working on like mind communication to digital devices. So you don't even have to type. You can start thinking about it. And it's from the waves of your brain, it will figure things out. It's just very different. So uh, 
who knows what the far future holds. But in the foreseeable future, there's a lot of them. And again, people will get more adept at not looking at them and using ad blockers. Uh, and then there are even some websites that if you have an ad blocker, will will not allow you to access it. But then once you access it, you still don't look at it. <laughs> even if you disable the ad blocker, right? Then right. At that point, you're even more intent to not look at it because they've annoyed you into that behavior. Can, can you talk to me, because we've talked a few different times about the idea of targeting and being being real and specific, whether it's the content or search. Can you talk to me about persona? Can you talk to me about really zeroing in on your target market? You have to understand the interests of your market and where they are in the buying cycle. And there's usually not a single persona. And frankly, most places overdo the personas, right? And I've been I've I've been in situations where a company had spent four hundred twenty thousand dollars specific case, won't name names, with a New York uh what's the name of, rhyme with? <laughs> yeah, I will not, but with an agency in New York City, like top notch, they had done the most sophisticated persona work and they had developed a most sophisticated website, except the website wasn't functioning, was not delivering results, because at the end of the day, it had discounted the expertise of the persona and where they were in their buying cycle and their thinking and what types of content they were interested in. It was a certain funnel that was not delivering. And because you're not at home next to every person holding their hand and saying, now click here, it doesn't work well. Now it works exceptionally well when you're booking a hotel, when you're booking your airline ticket, those are very keenly intentioned actions. You know, you you search, you know, I want to look at hotels in this city, in this neighborhood, I want this, you know, I want X number, and then it gives you a funnel to go through and complete your action. A persona there really works. Most other... A lot of other persona ideas, you know, are not fully delivering on the intent. So you have to, again, to be discerning, given on your circumstance, the context of where this is being done, the industry, the type of buyer. But you absolutely have to know your audience. What are the audience pain points? What what challenges and problems are they trying to resolve? Uh, Where are they trying to go to? You have to have content, and I call it a content cluster that caters to both uh, beginners, because it could be somebody fresh out of college, or it could be somebody with 25 years of experience in that field. So you have to have content at different levels of sophistication, either to help prep a new entrant or help really dazzle somebody who is so sophisticated and possibly jaded at that point. But you, you want to be able to move them off of their point of being jaded and to engage with the content. So mm-hmm. love the concept of the cluster and addressing people where they're at. Do they want some senior level strategic arguments for budget? Do they want, how do I set up Google analytics, right? Like get people where they're at and then, you know, recognize what they've chosen and then take it further from there. I saw yeah. that that's, Personalization is another thing that's super popular. Everybody talks about it, but very, very, very few people do it right. Mm. Even, I mean, um, 
even say TripAdvisor that I love dearly and think the world of the company. I'm one of the biggest contributors. Um, and they know a lot about my behaviors. Yet every time they do personalized content delivery, it misses the mark. Really? And it pains, and it pains me to name them and say it because I think the world of TripAdvisor, and both as an organization and the value they provide to users. And the reviews, the, you know, the traveler reviews, all of these are great. But even then, where they, they know an awful lot, say, about my tastes, preferences, previous choices, reviews I've written, when they personalize selections for me, seriously, eight times out of 10, they miss the mark. Interesting. Okay, let's dive into this. I'm a fan of TripAdvisor well. So it's like, we love you, guy, gal, TripAdvisor. We love you, but come on. Uh, so I just logged in. You inspired me to log in. And you're right. We write so many reviews. We're putting our own work. We're, we're telling them where we stayed, what we liked, what we didn't like. It's beyond the Netflix. Did I like this movie? Didn't I? We're giving them so much rich data. And you're saying, I mean, what kind of messages are they missing? On like on emails to you, suggesting trips or just ads or what do they miss? Suggesting, like suggesting certain tours, which I'm more bound to do it like on my own or suggesting types of hotels, uh, missing the mark pretty much eight times out of 10, which is very interesting. And yet they have so much information about me, about the properties I've stayed at, what I've rated highly, what I've not rated very highly. They're most of the time like, I can speak for myself. My ratings will end up higher because I've done a lot of research into it in advance. So it's, it's bound to be a good outcome. Interesting. There's there's even something there, like the idea that, wow, my reviews are, are very much the same. Um, I, I like to I like the research side of it, you know, to just sort of it's part of the experience of ooh, you know, I I can only go to dinner one time this night, where am I going to go? Uh, and to really think about it. And and so the, it, your ratings end up being higher. And I wonder what kind of things they, they can do. It's like, they've got the data already. Why not do something with it? Exactly. So it's very, very interesting because getting personalization is insanely difficult. Mm. You know, it's not like CVS that says, oh, or Target, you bought these paper towels. Maybe it's time to buy it again. That that's an easy thing, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so much, so many, so much untapped. You could turn that into a revenue machine. I think we should take it over. What do you think? Do you want to? You want to go in halvesies with me? Want to buy TripAdvisor with me? And <laughs> we'll just, you know, would love that. <laughs> everyone's a data scientist. That's all we're gonna do. We're just gonna, and we're gonna plug a bunch of AI in there, and then magic will happen. That's what I'm thinking. AI always works best with human intervention, right? It's not a... Oh, you say that again. <laughs> and, and balanced and fair and and unbiased or equally biased opinions for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, what... Interesting. Uh, do, you, do you use TripAdvisor to rate your local restaurants or your travel restaurants or what do you use it for? Mostly to rate hotels, very hotels. rarely restaurants. Interesting. That's very I cool. Still, 
And you know, they started with them with that. It was their original mission, and it's still probably their strength. Interesting. I, I use it for uh, restaurants outside of the U.S. Um, and sometimes in the U.S., I find that a lot more like international travel and ratings are going to happen on TripAdvisor, whereas Yelp will get more of the domestic local. I live here in New Hampshire. I'm going to rate my local pizza place if I'm bored. Um, but if I'm going somewhere else and I want to know, you know, what have the people that are on vacation really enjoyed? I'll I'll, I'll pull that up. Well, Yelp advantages the uh, listings that also advertise. Mm. So it can be misleading to end users and consumers, right? right. Okay. And you know, it's interesting. Can, Go ahead. You can give somebody a five-star review uh, on Yelp, uh, like an entity, and I've done that. And if they have been addressed by Yelp on several occasions to place an ad and they've refused, and there is so let's say I provide a five star rating, but two other people have provided three star ratings. The three star ratings will be above my five star rating, even though mine would be the newer rating. So mm. it's interesting how that works. Um, you know, fun story for you. I uh, for the honeymoon, I had a chance to go to Italy, and had been there before. So I tried to design like a custom itinerary. And with a stop off in Rome, one of the things we did is we went to the highest rated restaurant in Rome on TripAdvisor. And I was just checking now to see if it's still the same. I'm not sure. I'll have to, I'll have to go back and look at that. But it was like number one. So I thought, why not? And we tried it and the food was good. But at the end, uh, they brought out... Um, a bottle of limoncello and they poured two glasses and there's a, a little card and they're saying, if you enjoyed this, rate us on TripAdvisor. And I thought, you clever, clever restaurant scores. That's <laughs> like, that's perfect. Cause I happen to love it. My wife hates it, but either way I was like, this is great. What a great way to end this meal. And then, and I actually, when the waiter came back, I said, you know what? I really, thank you so much for that. I really like limoncello. Can I, can I buy, like, I would like another glass. Can I buy a glass now, a little glass of it? And, and the waiter said, oh, no, sir. No, the whole bottle is for you. Please help yourself. And I was like, okay, <laughs> now I know oh, why. Wow. you're the number one. Now I didn't take the whole bottle or pour the whole bottle, but you know, another glass, that extra little touch, you're just like, what? So, uh, and, and you can see how these little emotional surprises, expectations were here. You surpassed them, and you, you you triple surpassed them, and that's how you start earning those those extreme ratings. It's all about experience, so that's you're bringing up a great point. So marketers can't forget about the client experience, which is why marketing has to work very closely with sales, with operations, with the entire organization, um, and even with people operations, right? And it's the positioning and how people feel. Like everything is marketing when you think about it. Every employee who's out there talking about the organization is marketing. Those are not really disparate functions. There is way more interdisciplinary connectedness than we give credit for. And which is why organizations that operate in silos don't do well. I feel like that's like a mic drop. I feel like you need to do the mic drop. Can you, do, have you done that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there it is. 
<laughs> I feel like we need to like quote you on that just now and then have you just boom mic drop at the end and have like rock music after that. What do you think? Yo, on, That's Casey. so true, right? So true. That interconnectedness, the user, the end experience, and that starts from that first search you do, you find the website, the experience you have, you go back, you provide your review. It right. doesn't matter if it's B2C or B2B. Right. It's all the same on that level. And frankly, today, that distinctions of B2C and B2B is extremely kind of mingled and blurry because we live in a world, especially post-pandemic. I'd argue the world was hyper-digital before the pandemic, but it became hyper-digital on steroids during the pandemic because everybody was all of a sudden buying groceries online, mm -hmm. everything became online right for a while because people were not going out for physical interactions. So as a result, the experiences we have as consumers buying consumer products, we bring that to our, the experiences we have for our B2B purchases. And it's not as if, you know, you pause and say, oh, no, now this is B2B. It has to be boring and unengaging. That doesn't happen. People bring the same experience they have expected from Amazon, eBay, to an intensely B2B encounter. If they're buying software for a product, if they're doing whatever they're doing, uh, searching for some kind of a tech stack provider, they will bring that expectation to the B2B world. So really, it's business to people. Yeah. Business to people. B2P. Man, this is fantastic. I, I could talk to you all day, uh, but before we turn into pumpkins, I have to ask you this other question, which is like, who are you? Who are you? How do you know all these things? I'm pretty sure you have degrees in everything and PhDs and <laughs> masters and and you speak <laughs> multiple languages and you and you know understand the language of marketing and B2P. Take me back in time, little Jasmine days. Did you know growing up that you were going to go to all this school and run these organizations and 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 make so much changes in the marketing world? Did not think of the marketing world at all as a child, but I, I was blessed to have parents who were both professors who were very much into education. Education was more like a experience in our family. Uh, you had to be educated and it's not just like a it's about not about having a degree it's about having the curiosity and learning and ex experiencing the world so <clears throat> i'm blessed with intense curiosity and to me that's a blessing and i I'm, i have deep interest in people so and culture so if you have that and that carries into organizations that that really helps uh, so yeah, that's one of the defining factors. Man, um, how how did you end up in marketing? Because I think you've had you have background in international relations and law and policy and society. Uh, how do you get from there into e-commerce and to all these other other aspects? Started out very innocuously. I was doing my master's degree at Northeastern, and I was looking to earn some money on the side. And uh, an agency said that at the time, I didn't realize that this was the CMO of the institutional side of Fidelity Investments. Stuart Rose was hiring and they sent me on an interview with him. 
And I was like very young. He hands me a piece of paper. He had written something about, oh, you know, how you have to save people are aging. This was about baby boomers have to be prepared for retirement. He gives me this piece of paper and he says, what do you think of this? And I said, well, this says nothing. Like you need to provide some data to make a more impactful statement. So in essence, I was like very young and green and I criticized his writing, but he was an amazing visionary person. And he just looked at me and said, you're hired. So that got me into doing special projects for him. It was a tremendous mentor. Then I got into public relations. Then I started evolving really then into market research, then digital marketing, field marketing. So I went, I've gone through every facet of marketing and kind of grown into that role. And I'm very intensely interested in policy, how organizations evolve. So that has helped uh, in people. So that has really helped in leadership roles. And I'm very uh, thankful to be at Mercury. We're, we're really driving very dynamic transformation. It's a thriving, amazing organization with very visionary leadership. Um, our CEO, Josh Meadow, is like the ultimate visionary and prone to experimentation testing. Our value is driving relentless improvement. So we live that every day. So it kind of all falls into place. Mm. There's almost nothing you can't do with good leadership. I have a more of a different question for you now. It's a bit of a hypothetical. Because you, you see, I may or may not have a time machine up here in New Hampshire. And <laughs> let's say you, you come visit, right? Yeah. We get uh get some wine, you know, a little lobster. Tax-free shopping. Tax-free shopping. Hey. Uh and we get to use a time machine, but it's a particular kind of time machine. And it goes back in time and it and it presents you with yourself four days after you graduated with your undergrad degree. And you get to go meet that version of you back then. What kind of things would you say to her? You get to have a conversation. You can you tell yourself anything. What would you tell yourself? Don't rush, savor the moment. I mean, I think we all have a rush. Like, you remember when you were a little child, you always want to grow up very fast and you're driven, you want this and that. And sometimes we may not step back and savor the moment and just believe in yourself. It will come. Just don't rush. See, you know, carpe diem, seize the day. Love that. Believe in yourself. It will come. So, so good. Man, well, this has been so much fun. Where can people get in touch with you? Where can they connect with you? Social platforms, websites, all those things. Well, I'm self-admittedly addicted to LinkedIn, so I'm, I'm there on LinkedIn. <laughs> Me too. It's an addiction that I tried to hold at bay, but seriously, I, I have a LinkedIn open on my laptop any time of day. Uh, so it's very easy to get in touch with me there. Happy to connect, uh, exchange ideas. Um, you know, they, they can find me. Our website is, uh, at mercury, www.shipmercury.com. Um, so they can connect to me through by calling our number. And we actually have a person answering the phone, no matter where from the world you're calling. So it makes a difference. 
Wow. We don't put people into a 1-800 retreat. So if they try to reach me, they'll reach me. Wow. And that speaks back to experience. So all these things circling back around, uh, practicing what you preach, practicing what you teach. I love it. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on here. I don't know if you noticed the clock, but time is just blurred. We we got our <laughs> own time warp here, uh, just having this conversation. But thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you, Casey. Appreciate you having me on your podcast. And I really enjoyed the conversation and hearing your insights as well. Thanks. Absolutely. For those listening, if you learn something, because I freaking know you did, because I've got two pages of notes over here, front and back, then share this with someone else. Be a thought leader. One person, three people, 9,000 people, doesn't matter. But put your own perspective on it. What did you get from this episode? What kind of things are you going to do? What kind of actions are you going to take? And with that, Jasmine, you're the best. Please stay in touch. I can't wait to continue to learn from you and, and just watch Mercury shine. Thank you so much, Casey. You're the best too. Please stay in touch. Will do. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been another cool, fun, and super informative episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time. 